On today's episode, we talk about offers, but to be really direct, today we talk about my very unpopular opinion on offers that you're most likely not going to like. You might get mad at me, and this might be the first time that you want to kick me in the shins, but I promise if you listen and you really, really sit with it, it will set you up to win. And I also share a very humble lesson that I've learned in this process where it's applicable. So without further ado, let's get into the show. Are you ready to ethically scale your business? Good. Because this is the Mind of George podcast where relationships beat algorithms and depth is the only direction when it comes to ethically scaling your business. Each Monday and Friday, I'll be the guy between your ears in the hoodie and pink shoes guiding you home, giving you the tools to extract, honor, and amplify your genius so you can be the light for your customers. Sound fabulous? Cool. Let's get into the episode. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Mind of George Hill. I'm feeling especially pink today. If you cannot see this on video, I just felt in the mood for a pink t-shirt, so I'm rocking a pink t-shirt. But today we're going to talk about offers, and I am so incredibly excited to be recording this now because I just got done keynoting to literally probably 30 or 40 incredible seven, eight-figure entrepreneurs, and after teaching them customer journey... What I'm going to talk about in today's episode applies even more because they are in the same bucket, have the same things, and the same reminders take over, right? So let's make this one straight into the point when it comes to offers, okay? People always want to have offers, unicorn offers, perfect offers. And I'm going to make some recommendations in today's book on like what an offer is. But we see that people typically end up into like one of two buckets. And I have the notes in front of me right here. Number one is that people try to replicate somebody else's offer, which is completely fine using inspiration, and then don't get the results, or it doesn't work like it worked for them, or it didn't look like it looked for them. And so they get really, really frustrated. Or the second part is they make a perfect offer, they launch it, and then get really frustrated when it doesn't work the first time, or the second time, or the third time, and they throw the entire offer in the trash, and then don't address it, don't come back to it, and are convinced that the offer was bad. Or the third one, and I think this one is the common bucket, they think that in order to have an offer, they have to have the entire playbook, right? They're like, okay, well, if I have this offer that I'm going to help people with before that, I need the offer behind it, I need the offer in front of it, I need the lead magnet, I need the boom. No, none of those are true. But these are the things that happen. We end up getting stuck in this frustration, this hamster wheel, right? Oh my God, it's the offer, the offer, the offer. But yet the people aren't seeing the offer, right? And so this is how I've explained offers to everybody since I've keynoted about offers, okay? This is how I see an offer. Let's take my son, Branson, who's six years old. And with Branson, Branson currently is obsessed with certain toys, you know, certain things. But let's take Paw Patrol. Paw Patrol was a big, big, big part of him, right? So if I get a present for Branson and I put it inside of three different boxes and I wrap box one with brown paper, if I wrap box two with pink paper, and then I wrap box three with Paw Patrol wrapping paper, irregardless of what's inside of the box, Branson is going to go pick up the Paw Patrol one and think that that's his present and that one, and they all have the same box in it. And that's how I view offers. Everybody thinks that offers are what's inside of the box. They're not. What's inside of the box is your magic, right? That's your skill set. That's your product. That's your service. That's your thing. 
that you're going to help people achieve. But if they're not open and willing to open the present and understand that that wrapping paper is for them, they're never going to get into that offer, right? And so this is a really, really important thing to understand because we watch and myself included have spent literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours thinking that if I just fix the offer and I'm talking the content in the course, the things on the back end, that's not the offer. The offer is how you wrap your magic to let somebody know that I have something that I can help you with and this is it and I have a plan to help you get there. And so underneath all of these, the big mistake and the giant mistake that I see all the time is people think that offers require more. But you have to remember when people are investing money, they're investing money to get the answers faster or the results faster. And we tend to overbloat, overcomplicate, overstuff, and myself included as I am going through this right now and realizing that I was doing the same thing in a couple of buckets with high-end clients, right? And so what we got to understand is an offer is only as good as somebody's ability to, number one, understand what it is. Number two, see themselves in it and make it feel for them like they can achieve it or get closer to the result. And then number three, have the customer journey in place to hold them accountable to implement the first couple of steps that they will need in their business or their life to get to that next level. And so when you hear me teach customer journey, you'll hear me say like, if I have two people that want to lose 100 pounds and I give client A their workouts, their supplements, their gym membership and a plan. And I say, good luck. I'll see you in 12 months. And then the other guy, I'm like, hey, we're just going to walk and go get water tomorrow. We know that client B is going to win. And that's just simply because we broke down the offer and the customer journey on the back end to give them the bite-sized pieces to build their atomic habits, to build their momentum and to get into the result, which would then open up that next level. And so when it comes to offers, I find that most people focus on the wrong things. And why does this matter? Truth be told, there is no perfect offer. There isn't one. If you're a sports analogy person, it's understanding that you have this service, this product, this idea, this book recommendation, this something that you have that if somebody utilized it would get the result that they're going after. But it's just a bridge to the afterstate. And so when we understand that we have something that we can do to help people, when we have something that we can do to move them forward or move them closer to our goals, even though we can clearly see that they are about to run a marathon, they've never run one before. And our job is just to get them to that first mile marker. And yes, you might think that when they get to mile one, they're going to need something for miles 15 and 20 and 25. But you can't build those and have those until the people get to mile one or else you're going to build something that they don't need. And so in the sports world, if I was giving an analogy, if you're like, hey, we are playing this game and we're going to try this new play. Here's what we're thinking. The moment you get to a plan and you're like, let's try this, that's when you have an offer because that's when you have a play. And from that moment on, the success of that play whether you use it in your playbook or not, whether you use it in your team and you're not, is your willingness to be in the weeds with it. Try it, keep trying it until everybody understands it and is receiving it and to stay bullish and focused on getting to that point until you're crystal clear that that play belongs in your playbook. 
it would be no different than if you are opening a restaurant. You might be doing a soft launch of a restaurant and you have an idea of what you want on the menu, what you want to cook with. But before you open the doors, you bring friends and family in to taste your dishes, to taste your recipes, to use your ingredients. And then you might make adjustments and you might keep the name of the recipe and you might call it the same thing, but you might tweak a few things based on people's feedback. And only when you have that feedback and everyone's like, yep, this is the recipe. We agree that we like this recipe. It's aligned and congruent to who we are. We want to cook it in our kitchen. And they agree that if they walked into our restaurant, they would want to order that recipe and then we would make it. And when you have that, that's when you have an offer. But most people don't get to that point because they get convinced that just because they made an offer or just because somebody didn't buy, that they don't have an offer. The truth is, is that you do. But the people that we're selling the restaurant or the recipe to don't understand it yet. They haven't tasted it yet. It doesn't feel achievable to them. And that's the wrapping paper that you have to focus on rewrapping. Now, Russell Brunson is one of the greatest marketers of our lifetime. I have the utmost respect for him, but I, I will always remember one of the things that he taught when he was teaching value ladders, right? And value ladders are how you talk about your offer structure. And we teach this through the lens of the Christmas tree. Just because value stacks exist, just because value ladders exist, just because you have the ability to get somebody's email 17 ways, and then you could have six offers and a mid-ticket offer and a high-ticket offer, doesn't mean that that's where you need to spend your time. Because he also used to stay on his value ladder. You started with that third tier every single time, but you kept it and you ran with it until you took people through it, until they got the result. Because when they got that result, that result would open them up for you to see what that next high level offer is that they might need or might benefit from. And then with that information, you could also very clearly see the people who weren't ready for that third tier offer that you have, what was getting in the way of that. And that's where you could introduce a value ladder. People have taken it out of context and thinks that to run a business, you have to have an offer at every step and an escalation at every step. And that's just simply not true. And so what ends up happening is we end up being behind the scenes trying to craft the perfect offer, right? We waste time too scared to hit launch instead of just realizing that if you have something that can get somebody over a finish line or move them closer to that finish line, you already have what you need. But it's your willingness to take it and hit launch when you could be testing it or trying to sell it imperfectly and then tweaking it as the feedback comes in. And this is probably one of the biggest opportunity losses that we see for people across the board. Because the more willing you're able to, for lack of better terms, take your recipe and then grab some samples of it and act like you're in the food cart in the mall and then go find people to taste it, the faster you're going to realize if they like it or not, or if you need to change the scent, the flavor, or how you talk about it. And that is the best data that you could ever get. Like we did an episode with Kyle Porter, and I don't know if it came out yet, but we were talking about zero-point data. And zero-point data is getting directly from our customers and our ideal customers. And this is a trap that I've fallen victim to as of late that is no longer here and it's been eradicated. And I will talk about this in a minute. And the level of clarity I have is completely mind-blowing. But when you think about this, this is the opportunity that entrepreneurs don't take. And so when we think about it, we also have to remember that most of the time we're making offers where we're putting these out there is because we live this journey too. We understand what it's like to be the people that we're trying to help, but we forget how far removed we are from where they are. 
And an offer is designed to meet somebody where they are and help them either move to the finish line that we have or move one step closer. But the only way that we can win is if we're in relationship with the people we're trying to sell our recipes to. And it just so happens if you get an idea and you're like, hey, I'm opening a new kitchen. Here's all the recipes I'm testing. Or here's the first recipe I'm testing. Let me run it by you. Would you love to eat this dish? And they're like, nope. And you're like, great. Don't make it before you get some yeses. If they give you yes, then you make the recipe and you give it to them. But you ask them, how did it taste? How did you like it? What could be better? And then when you tweak it a few times, then those people that were closest to you are like, yep, thumbs up. And now you can turn around and you can tell other people that you have that recipe and this is how it tastes and this is what they said. Would you like to order that recipe? And that's how this game works in your brain, in my brain, when it comes to offers. And so just remember, because I'm going to make recommendations here, I'm going to make book recommendations, thinking recommendations is that you can spend all day reading the book and you can spend all day in your kitchen testing recipes, testing recipes, testing recipes. But if you never put one on a plate and go out into the world and find somebody to taste it, whether they want to pay for it or not, you're never really going to know if that recipe works. But if you just sat in your kitchen and tested 20 recipes and convinced yourself that they tasted like shit and then threw all 20 in the trash before anybody else tried them, you'd be doing yourself a disservice and making the game hard on yourself because you would just be hitting repeat over and over and over again, and you would never get a menu done. And that's the thing that we see more than everybody. And to share a story with you is I have been going through changes and growth and how I offer this. And for me, one of our offers was always, George, either fly us to us or you come to or we'll come to Montana and I want to do this like three day intensive. Well, here's the funny part. In being in Hawaii and keynoting, I realize that I don't need three days anymore. I can get you customer journey and get it into your business where it's working already in under four hours. And I can do it in a group setting or I can do it one-on-one. But I got so comfortable And kind of complacent in the fact that it was always that offer, always that offer that I was doing everybody listening to this podcast a disservice. I made the gap huge and I was saying, hey, I'll help you when you jump from the beginning of the race to mile 10. And I was missing the pieces. And I was over here convinced that I didn't know what I was talking about with customer journey, that I didn't know how to help, that it couldn't just be this simple. And then after keynoting in Hawaii to like 47 figuring up businesses, They were like, this changed our business. I just want this. I just need this. And I realized that over the last year and a half, I've changed who I want to help. I've changed how I've helped them, but I never changed the recipes on my menu. And so now I'm changing the recipes and it's a very, very exciting process. And it's hilarious to me because I am doing the things that we're talking about right now. Like I had an idea the other day and I was like, oh my God, I could do this, this, this. So I ran it by four people. I sent them a message They're like, oh my God, I would love that. And I'm like, great, let me flush it out a little bit more and let me see what you say. And then every single one of them came back to me. They're like, I would totally do this. Boom. And so now I'm in the process of mapping out what it is we talked about. And I'm going to pick a day. I'm going to sell it. I'm going to tell up to 10 entrepreneurs who have always wanted customer journey, who couldn't afford to pay me back when I was very egotistical and talked about my prices, which I apologize for lessons learned because I never want money to get in the way of me helping somebody. And the days of me consulting corporations and big companies that use this stuff and don't really care about it, those are gone. I am back. I am in with coaches, consultants, entrepreneurs, e-commerce owners, people with heart, and I'm going to make it 
So you have to win customer journey so you can have the results. But that required me going back into the kitchen and say, hey, I have different people sitting in my restaurant. I know my content's good, but if I have new people in my restaurant and they've never eaten here and they've never heard about these recipes, I'm going to have to rename them and change them so people are open and willing to sit down at the table and take a bite. And this is going to be a process that as entrepreneurs, we live in for our entire life. And I fell into this trap, right? In the very early stage, I'm like, oh, I have an offer. That offer will take me forever. It doesn't. There's offer fatigue. There's name fatigue, right? There's market fatigue. There's a lot of these things. And what I had to fall in love with recently was that this is the part I love about the game. It's being in the weeds with the people that I care with, the weeds of the people that I want to help and asking them, like, where are you right now? Like, how is this feeling? Like, what's going to help you the best? And being willing to go back into my kitchen and say, hey, I know this recipe is good, but every time I serve it, they're not understanding it. I'm going to tweak the recipe a little bit so that it's better for them. It meets them where they are. And then maybe eventually they'll get into the bigger recipe, but I have to be willing to put the checkpoints in place and the mile markers in place. And so for me, that's how I see offers, right? And so I had a note in here to like define what I would call a unicorn offer, right? And I got to give Hermosi all the credit in the world. I've read his book, $100 Million Offers, numerous times. And I will tell you, there is not a better book, a more thorough book that's broken down in practice, that's broken down in practicality on how to build an offer. But that is only part of the game. That is you sitting in the back of the kitchen, coming up with an idea of what recipes that you could put on the menu. And that is only 1% of the game. The rest of it is once you put that on the menu, your offer is only a unicorn offer or a perfect offer. If you find the gap between your recipe and where people are, and they're excited to try it, they're excited to eat it, and they're excited to order it. And that's where this comes into practice. For me, a perfect offer is an offer that can meet people where they are and give them the next bite, the next path, the next step into their growth, knowing that once they're there, it will open them up to more, but there's progress being protected. There's momentum being there. And it's no different than if you own a supplement company and somebody comes in with a specific pain point and you help them solve that pain point. Once it's solved, you'd like to introduce them to other products, other proteins, other collagens, if they need them. And so we have to remember that this is what it comes down to offers. And so specifically in the lens of what I just shared about mine, is the number $50,000 a day, which is what I used to charge, and I no longer charge that anymore for the record, was because I was going into eight-figure companies and literally in a matter of a moment or two days, we could make some adjustments to an existing audience and they would literally make their money back instantly, set up their customer journey and scale. I realized over the last two years that I have stopped finding those people, stopped keynoting to those people, and stopped telling those people I had a restaurant because I wasn't interested in working with them anymore. But I never took the time to go back into my kitchen and say, hey, we have a new crowd. We're doing a facelift. We're going to put a different audience in this restaurant. And I didn't do it because I was scared, right? I didn't catch it at the time, but I was scared. I was scared because I had fallen victim to, I know what I am. I know who I am. I know how I help. But my ability to help is only as effective as your ability to receive it and want to use it and want to order that menu item off my menu. And so I've been going through this for the last six months and now I am crystal clear 
that yes, the days of me going out and keynoting those companies are probably not there. They don't excite me. They don't get me up. And so the numbers are in the trash. You can go look at our website. I told Ashley, pull all the prices off. We had to put the heart back into this business. And what ended up happening is I became a transaction machine because everybody was calling. It was working like crazy. And I forgot what I loved. And what I love is going into your kitchen and helping you design your recipe. But it was a very, very humbling experience. And I'm still in the middle of it. But I have never been more excited to figure out what ingredients to put in and what order to put in to make it as simple and effective as possible. But we have to remember that our offer is only as good as people's abilities to understand that it's for them and to be excited about wanting to try it. And we can only move people one step at a time. And so I would highly recommend that everybody, if you have not, you read $100 million offers by Alex Ramosi. I would then highly recommend and almost require that if you've read The Catalyst, you go back to the chapter on distance and reactance. And if you haven't, you only read those two chapters and you take $100 million offers or the ideas that you have, and then you pair it with solving the distance equation to make sure that your audience wants what it is that you have to offer. And I got to do a call out of one of our incredible students, one of our incredible friends, JP. JP, I love you to pieces, buddy. If you hear this, you know I'm talking about you. But he came to our last event and he is an operational ninja. And he took all that feedback and he's like, I have an idea. And he made a sample menu. And the sample menu was like, I can help you with this. I can help you with this. I can help you with this. And he took that and then he reached out to 10 people close to him that he knew could benefit if they let him help and said, hey, I'm willing to help you, but I need you to give me feedback. Tell me what's missing. Tell me what's not here. And he did it. And then all of them gave him feedback. And then he turned around and sold that offer. And then as part of the feedback, somebody also brought up that said, hey, I know you're really interested in teaching entrepreneurs how to have better ops. Have you ever thought about teaching their teams how to integrate better and training them for you. And so when he started, he was clear, like this was the one thing and he did it. He baited it. He got feedback. He did iterations and then launched it and it worked and it opened up this other possibility that said, holy moly, this is the value stack that can come right above this, but I'm not there yet. I'm going to keep people going through this. And when I get them to the point that they could benefit from that, we'll start building that. And that is literally the essence of what we're talking about here. And it doesn't matter if it's a $27 offer, a $100 offer, a $10,000 offer. Offers are all the same, is that somebody's willingness to take it, to buy it, comes down to number one, them feeling safe, them feeling understood, which means you have to know your avatar and be able to speak their language, which means the more you allow them to be in the testing, and the iteration process with you, the faster you'll figure that out. And then once they know that it's for them and they understand that they want to eat that dish, they also have to realize that they can eat that dish and be excited about eating that dish. And that's where customer journey comes in. But it's never about the offer. It's never about what's in the offer. If you have something that's clearly laid out that says, if you buy this and you do this, we can help you achieve this. If you learn this and you do this, we can help you achieve this. You have the ingredients that are needed to make that dish. Michelin star chefs realize that the success of their restaurants comes down to simplicity and mastery of those things. And that's what we are all learning to do. Because the first time you come up with an offer, or even the 30th time you come up with an offer, it doesn't mean it's anything like any of the previous ones. You can carry 
wisdom in with you. You can carry previous lessons in with you. You can carry principles in with you. But it doesn't mean that just because you put it on the menu and you have this incredible restaurant and everybody's been ordering everything else, that they're just naturally going to order this dish. We still have to do the same process every single time. And so my invitation for everybody is number one, to accept this, that 99% of the time, if you have a business and you have an offer and somebody has bought that offer, it is not about taking the menu item off the menu. It's about either adjusting the name and how you describe it so more people know how good it tastes, maybe potentially tweaking a recipe if your people are giving you feedback, it can be returned. But other than that, it's obsessing about asking what would get you excited to buy this recipe? What would make you excited to eat it? Oh, great. Now that you've tasted it, let's hold you accountable to putting it into your business. And so if you're going to open a kitchen, if you're going to open a restaurant, you need to ensure that you don't sign a lease and spend 12 months in the kitchen doing R&D before you ever put that recipe in somebody else's mouth, let them taste it and give you feedback. Because if you do that, you are guaranteed to lose. And 99% of the time, that's the bucket that we see. Now, if you're in the 1% of the bucket where you don't have an offer, this makes the game so easy for you because the only thing you need is an idea. Hey, I'm thinking about making this recipe. And you reach out to 10 people and you're like, I'm thinking about making this recipe, but it involves you. Can you help me understand what you would like in this recipe, what you would benefit from in this recipe? And then you make version one. And then you give them version one and ask them to go through it and ask them to give you feedback. Ask them how they described it, how it made them feel. And then you collect all of that. You tweak the recipe and now you know how to market it. You know who likes it. And then that's where the real work begins. And the real work begins when you realize that once you put a menu item on the menu, once you put a new recipe on the menu, that's when business starts. And once it starts, it means that you have validity. 10 people have bought this already. I know it works, right? 10 people have eaten this already. I know they like it. And then the rest of the time is spent finding more people to come into your restaurant. And if you think about this brick and mortarly, if you owned a brick and mortar restaurant in New York, but I didn't let you put any signage up, you didn't run ads, you would never sit there at your front door and just hope that people stopped in. You'd go talk to them on the street. You'd have them taste samples. You'd ask them what they liked or didn't like, what their preferences were. And you would collect all of that information to help yourself bring more people into your restaurant. Well, on the internet, it's the same thing. And this is the trap that I fell into. I thought I built a Michelin star restaurant and I was going to get booked out for the next 10 years. But I forgot to acknowledge myself that I didn't want those patrons in my restaurant anymore. And I locked the fucking door. And then I left everybody else out in the cold. And so here I am again, so excited and so happy to be doing this. But I just put some new recipes and some new ingredients on the menu that people are going to order. And now I am out calling people, connecting with people, getting on calls. And I've never been more excited to see what this seasonal menu is going to be for my business. Well, also understanding that this season might last for a month, three months, or six months. And when people stop ordering the items that are on my menu, it doesn't mean my kitchen's bad. It doesn't mean my restaurant's bad. It doesn't mean we don't know how to cook. Maybe the ingredients changed. Maybe it's a different season. Maybe it's winter weather. Maybe they have a different need. And then it's up to me to go into my kitchen 
look and see at what I have while listening to their feedback and make a new menu that would get them excited to sit down, come back into my restaurant, eat dinner, and then become family forever because that's what I'm out here doing. I'm just trying to build a cult of people that love themselves, love their customers, love me, and together we can have a massive impact. But if I'm not willing to take a look at my menu, if I'm not willing to make sure that there's a positive experience in my restaurant, if I'm not willing to ask for feedback and make adjustments, I can't be upset if nobody comes into my restaurant. And so my recommendation for you is this. Go reread $100 million offers. Go reread reactance and distance in the catalyst and then understand that yes, you have everything that's there, but it's only as effective as people's desire to want it, to want to eat it, and to be able to understand what it is. So make a mock menu. Have one and only pick one. Whatever your core offer is, whatever the first one you want to make is, or whatever the existing one is that has the most upside, the most benefit, or the one that you're thinking about the most, and do not, and I mean do not put it on the menu until you are sure that people want it, because you will know, and you will know the moment it goes on the menu when it's easy, when people are buying it, when it's predictable. But if you only half-ass a recipe and put it on the menu because you're scared or you don't want to do the work or you don't want to hear it, hi, myself included, what you end up with is eight items on the rest on the menu that nobody wants to order and then us keeping adding more, thinking that that's going to get more people into the restaurant. And then you end up like with the Cheesecake Factory with you know 746 options on the menu, which did their benefit until they put the calorie count on there. Now nobody goes there anymore. But you have to understand that it's not about just adding more recipes. The ones that you have most likely are perfect. They just need some tweaks, some adjustments, or maybe even named differently so that people know that your restaurant has what they want and they're excited to come take a bite. And so those are my thoughts on offers today. I'm going to wrap today because this one got a little juicy. I love it. I can't wait to hear from you. If you have any questions, let me know. Make sure you reach out. Make sure you grab an event ticket. I'm in like recording mode, so get ready because it is coming. But I'm pretty excited to go rock this pink. Have a beautiful day. And that's where I'm going to leave you as offers. So if we can help in any way, make sure you let us know. But I'd say it's most likely time to throw some samples on your tray, get out into the world and get people to taste it, make adjustments. And when something works, keep it. When it doesn't, make an adjustment and get back to selling that recipe. So have a beautiful day. Remember, relationships will always beat algorithms. I will see you in the next episode or you will hear me in your earballs. But either way, we're out. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Mind of George Show. Please make sure you subscribe on your favorite channel that you listen to, whether it's in the car, on your run, or in front of the television. Make sure you leave a review to help other people know how much you love the show and quite frankly, help me know how much you love the show because I read them all. And if you want five-minute daily insider nuggets on business, marketing, leadership, mindset, or any other tool that you would need to build and scale your company, make sure you register for my invite-only newsletter. I call it the Lightkeeper Lessons. I hold nothing back here and I share everything that works for me, my friends and mentors, and thousands of my students around the world to thrive in life and keep our lighthouses shining brightly. We will eventually be charging for this, but for now, for you, because you're listening to the podcast, it's free. So if you want to sign up, go to www.lightkeeper.club, fill out the application, and then check your inbox because it's magic. You actually have to open the emails to get the gifts inside. 
Otherwise, you can get access to my Relationships Beats Algorithms Facebook community and other free resources on the website. So just go to www.mindofgeorge.com and I'll see you in the next episode.